The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. I wanted to just uh, cover the Lord's Supper. I like to get it out up front so that you're at ease on how this works. Because I know sometimes you have different traditions in your own uh, backgrounds on how this goes. But uh, for us, the Lord's Supper is something the Lord ordained that we do to remember uh, the significance, meaning and significance of his life, burial, and resurrection. And uh, the Lord's Supper is symbolic. The bread is symbolic of his body, which we... which we know at Christmas time, God took on flesh. That theological term is called the incarnation. And so God, the divine, took on flesh in order to reconcile those of us who are, to, to reconcile humanity in their flesh, their sinful flesh. And the, the fruit of the vine, which is grape juice in our tradition, is uh, representative of his blood that was shed on the cross. Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so today we will come at the end of the message. Uh, it'll be obvious when I move into a time of Granger and I will be preparing the table, at which time you'll be asking the Lord to prepare your heart to participate in the Lord's Supper. And so at that time, we do it just with various groups. You'll come down the aisles and there will be several stations here uh, for you to just go to the next available station. Uh, we don't want anyone to come alone, so uh, look around, grab anybody who doesn't have uh, a group with them and include them in your group. Uh, you can come as a family, a biological family. You can come with your community group family. You can come with your row, whatever it takes. Uh, this is a, uh, There's a guide here at the table that uh, one person in your group will lead the the group through the Lord's Supper. Very simple. Step one, hand out both the bread and the juice. Step two, read the scripture passage. Step three, pray a prayer. And so uh, this will guide you through it. If you're comfortable, you don't have to follow the guide exactly. It's just to help you feel comfortable about going through that. So uh, we're excited to be able to do this. It's an awesome time uh, for the church family uh, to participate in the ordinance. There's two ordinances. One is baptism and the other is the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so we, we share the Lord's Supper as a church family um, on, uh, at members' meetings once a quarter. But uh, this is the time of year where we also share it in our public worship gathering. And so who's invited to participate? Those who have trusted in Christ. Uh, if you're not a member, that's okay. We welcome you if, if you're a member of the Christian family. Uh, if you are trusting only solely in the blood and body of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, then you are welcome to come to, the, to this uh, Lord's Supper. If you're not, if you're uh, investigating the Christian faith, this is an awesome uh, object lesson in the gospel. It's a picture of what we believe in. The body and blood of Jesus Christ alone satisfies uh, God's demands for righteousness. Uh, so those are the practical instructions. Let me ask the Lord to help us as we conclude our study of 1 John. Lord, we ask you to, to do work in our hearts this morning. The, the Lord's Supper is a beautiful, visible representation and reminder of you taking on flesh, God taking on flesh in order to sacrifice his divine flesh so that the humans can have reconciliation with the divine. And we thank you for that great gift, Lord. I pray this morning you'll do a great work in our hearts, encouraging work. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we come to our final study of 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 21. And wouldn't you know, uh, 
in a revised service where I'm going to try to keep the message brief. We've got some of the strangest verses you've ever read. Uh, and so I will try to handle them faithfully, yet briefly. Um, I encourage you that afterwards, if you are uh, struggling with some of it, please let me know and I'll give you some resources that will do a much better job explaining some of these verses. But today, John has been over and over. His main point is, listen, I want you to know. I want you to know that if you're in Christ, I want you to know you have eternal life. And so he's all about assurance. And today we're going to see three assurances that we should keep in mind as we come as authentic believers professing our faith solely in the blood and the body and the blood of Jesus Christ as the only source and basis of our righteousness with God. As we come, then these are three assurances that we want to celebrate and remember as we participate in the Lord's Supper. The first assurance that we have in Christ is the assurance of eternal life. Authentic believers in Jesus have assurance of eternal life. I'll look at verse 13 and then the last two verses, 20 and 21. John says in verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God... So that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's skip down to verse 20. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come. This is the Christmas message. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him, God. Him who is true, the one true God. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourself from idols or any other false teachings or false gods. And so in these verses, John assures us, if you have faith in Jesus, if you come to the Lord's table today and you participate in the body and blood of Christ, a symbol of your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, and he says, this should be a great time of encouragement because you're remembering That Christ gives you eternal life. And this is a great assurance that we should enjoy. And having gone through this whole study, John has said, I want you to know that you have eternal life. I don't want you living with doubts. I don't want you rocked with uncertainty. I want you to know with certainty that if you're in Christ, then you have eternal life. And don't doubt it. Now, the one emphasis here we see is there is a... Exclusive truth claim being made here. Notice John says that Jesus is the Son of God who has come and given us understanding so that we may know the one true, and the idea there is the real God. Not a false God. There's one true God. There's one way to have been to be reconciled with that one true God. These are very exclusive truth claims. And that that Jesus came to make that way known and that through faith in Jesus, who is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, he says we are in God because by faith we are in Jesus. And Jesus is God in flesh. And so this basically summarizes the entire theological message of 1 John. And it is a very exclusive truth claim. The, the Christian message of salvation is exclusive message. And we live in a time where that's not popular. Uh, society doesn't like us to make exclusive truth claims. But with exclusive truth claims, that's where we find assurance. It's, it's not fuzzy. It's not nebulous. It's not wishy-washy. It's very clear. 
God has made a way known. And it is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, Howard Marshall addresses in his commentary the the fact that he says today it, it is fashionable to imagine that religion and morality are separable and independent. One can be good and righteous without belief in Jesus as the Son of God. Well, John would remind us, he goes on to say, that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no real understanding of the truth and no power to live according to the truth. But Jesus is the true God and the way to eternal life. We continue to face increasing pressure in society to pretend that underlying all religious messages, there's the same message. That one way or another, we all end up the same God. No, that's not true. And there is no assurance in that. And so it's not mean-spirited. It's the most loving thing to do, to hold to the truth of God's word. That there is one way of salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And his name is Christ Jesus. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of the Christian gospel that, that John has said. That's God's testimony about Jesus. That's the apostles' testimony about Jesus. And if we don't agree, we're making God a liar. And so there is one way. So though it's controversial, it's, it should be great. give us great assurance to know this is true. John says, let it be known to you all by the name, or the, the, excuse me, in Acts that Luke says, let it be known to you all that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man who was healed stands in good health. And he says, he is the stone which was rejected, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. What he is implying here is that anything else is a false gospel. Anything else is an idol, even if it's wishful thinking. It's contrary to God's word. But those who adhere to this one true message that Jesus reconciles sinners to God, who is eternal. They have eternal life. So as you come to the table this morning, let that be a praise in your heart. Thank God that you assure me that in Christ I have eternal life. Not only do we see assurance of eternal life, but we also see assurance of answered prayer. In verse 14, John says, This is the confidence which we have before Him, God, That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. This is the assurance of answered prayer. The idea here is that you stand with confidence before God in Christ. Notice that's what he says. This is the confidence we have before him. We can stand with confidence in the presence of God because we are hidden in Christ. That's a great joy to know. And with that confidence, John has detailed out several places in this book. That gives us freedom of speech. True freedom of speech. The freedom to speak freely with God about what's going on. About our hurts, about our sorrows, about our dreams, about our hopes. And to let Him know our request. And he says, you can know in Christ that he hears your request. 
that are in accordance to his will. And if he hears them, he answers those. And so we know as we come to the table in this Lord's Supper, we praise God that we're not alone, that he is that loving father. John speaks about it as being born again into a family, the spiritual family, where God is the perfectly loving heavenly father. And as any good father does, he wants his children to come and speak freely and let him know of the requests that he has and to let, her, let him know of her hurts and sorrows and what she needs in life. And God is saying, I want you to have that confidence to enter into my throne room and speak freely. And I hear what you're saying. I hear what you need. I hear the pain. I hear your sorrows. I hear your struggles. So maybe as you come to the Lord's Supper, that's the word you needed to hear today. Is there's, there's hope to know that God hears you. It seems to be addressing the, the, the fear of, of God not hearing or not having confidence that, that I can really pray and God hears. Because oftentimes when prayer doesn't come the way we expect, the timing we expect, the way we expect, we, we want to doubt. And he's saying, listen, if you come to the table and see that I've met your deepest need in Christ, you can know I hear you. And you can have assurance of answered prayer. Now, obviously, it doesn't just mean we get to, to say anything we want. There's always a caveat that according to his will, John Stott says about that, he says, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or for bending his will to ours, but the prescribed prayer is the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his. It is by prayer that we seek God's will Embrace it and align ourselves with it. Every true prayer is a variation of thy will be done. In such prayers and only in such, he hears us. That is, he takes note of our petitions. And in addition, he listens favorably to us. So as you come to the cross, you remember that Jesus himself in the garden said, Lord, let this cup pass before me. He saw the pain and agony of the cross. But then he said, but not my will, but thine be done. And so he went through the cross to be your intercessor, to be your mediator, to guarantee you God hears your prayers and he meets And answers those prayers according to what is absolutely best for you and for me. A lot of times when things don't turn out the way we expect, we we wonder. One of our members did not get to go to the uh, South Sudan mission trip because of some strange rule the government had. And it was a joy to be able to say, man, I know this is frustrating and I know it's disappointing, but... The thing I can tell you is God absolutely is answering prayer even in this. And he got the five people that he wanted in South Sudan for this trip. He got them there. I have no idea why. But you can trust that God answered our prayers for you in according to his good and perfect will for you and for his plans. That's comforting. So we have assurance of answered prayer. And he noticed that it even means that he hears our prayers in particular for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice what he says in 16 and 17, or I should say he hears our prayers for others. 
He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to death. So let me begin first by addressing the strange phrase, brothers committing a sin not leading to death and a sin leading to death. Um, what John is talking about and what he's not talking about. Here, often uh, we, we see that there is a teaching about mortal and venial sins that the Roman Catholic Church has developed that says that there are some sins that are uh, unforgivable. And the seven deadly sins and things like this come from this verse that we would respectfully disagree. Uh, the idea that there are some sins that are unforgivable compared to other sins is not being taught here. In fact, Jesus compares hatred in your heart to murder and says all of those sins reveal a separation from God and a sinful heart that needs to be uh, changed, that, that we need a new heart, we need to be born again. And so, John, I mean, so, so Jesus himself said, as it relates to our standing with God, all sins reveal the same problem. We need to be born again. And that, that one sin is not worse than the other in the sense of our standing with God. Obviously, there's greater consequences for, for murder compared to anger. But he's saying, Jesus makes it clear that that's not what's being taught here. What is being taught here is that a, a, a settled, outright rejection of Jesus. This gospel message that John has been preaching. You cannot be saved apart from Jesus. So the unforgivable sin is the one and only unforgivable sin is rejection of the Savior. Rejection of this gospel. Creating a false gospel or an idol as the heretics he's been addressing have done. Saying that you don't need the, the blood of Jesus. You just needed to, to, to understand a lesser truth about Jesus. And so John is saying, no, if you reject the, the requirement of Jesus' blood on the cross as forgiveness for, required for forgiveness of sins, then you do not have salvation. And he doesn't say, I don't want you to pray for them. He's just saying, that's not what I'm talking about. I know in the English it's very hard, but I've read several Greek scholars and they say, this is what's probably going on. Is John is just saying, that's not the issue I'm focused on. He doesn't forbid us from praying for those people. He just says, that's not what I'm saying to pray for. I'm saying, God hears your prayers. God answers your prayer. Pray for those who sin not leading to death. Now, that could either be an unbeliever who has been duped by false teaching. And he's saying, pray that they come to faith in Christ. And pray that they repent and, and trust Christ. Or it could be a believer who is in sin and he's saying pray that they repent and restore their relationship with Christ. In either case, the point is clear. John is saying this, God hears your prayers. God answers those prayers in accordance with his good and perfect will. And so I know this touches a lot of people where there's a lot of pain in their heart. So as you come to the table today, let it give you assurance to know, don't quit praying for that person you love. Don't give up. God died to save all who will call upon the name of the Lord. And you have a great role in that. You get to participate in that process. And God answers according to His good and perfect will. Don't doubt it though. 
you have confidence to enter into his throne room and to speak freely. God, please restore that person. So let it be a great encouragement to have assurance that God answers your prayers according to his good and perfect will. Finally, we see we are reminded of the assurance of protection from sin. Verses 18 and 19, he says, We know that no one who is born of God sins, and the verb there is indicates continually goes on sinning. But he who was born of God, Jesus, keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So in verse 18, when he says, we know that no one is born of God, sins, he's not saying a a Christian, a true Christian, an authentic believer never sins. He's saying with the verb tense that he does not have a lifestyle of sin. He does not have a life that is characterized by one of continual sin. He He may sin, but he does not live in sin. Why? Because Jesus keeps him from doing that, is his point. The encouragement in this is that the Holy Spirit guarantees, the Holy Spirit seals his children. Those who are born of God, John says, are born out of the world. They are separated now from the world. The world, the idea is the world is laying in the arms of Satan, the way it's written. It lies in the arms of the power of the evil one. Yet those who are born of God are in Christ. Satan's hand can't touch them. That's a beautiful picture. So maybe you're struggling with sin right now and you're riddled with doubt. What this Lord's Supper reminds you is if you are in Christ and you are trusting solely in the body and blood of Jesus Christ shed for your sins... The Satan can't touch you. You are victorious. And the rest of this life is learning to live out that victory in this life that one day will be ultimately revealed. Praise the Lord for that gift. So as you come to the table to symbolize your faith and your your union, your faith union with Christ that you're trusting solely in the body and blood of Jesus, let us be encouraged this Christmas with the assurance of eternal life, assurance of answered prayer, and assurance of protection from sin. I invite Granger to come and help me prepare the table. At this time, would you please move into a time of prayer? Just just close your eyes and, and... Meet with the Lord and just ask the Lord to search your heart for any impure thoughts or problems or struggles that you need to confess and agree. A confession is just agreeing with the Lord this is sin in your heart. Repent of that. And just think about in Christ you have assurance of eternal life. You have assurance and he hears and answers your prayer according to his will. And you have assurance that he protects you from sin. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.